welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Here we go. Philippians 2, 1. We're going to pump through a few of the foundational scriptures that will be our foundation for the entire year. Our current theme is, have you laid down your life? Have you laid down your life? I said at the start, I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't very excited about preaching this because it's got so many triggers and so many stuff that I used to, lies that I used to be buried into this question, like the John, John the Baptist, he, I must decrease and he must increase. And I used to attach that with, I just need to be a worm and I've got no say in anything. And he's just sovereign and does everything whenever he wants to and I've got no say whatsoever. But to understand that he no longer calls me a slave but a friend, And friends know what the master's doing and he pulls me into his story, to Corinthians, that he wants to make his appeal through us and he's given us the message of reconciliation. It's a partnership, it's a a lifelong relationship that's growing. Philippians 2, chapter 1, this is the foundational scripture for our year. Look at how much encouragement you've found in your relationship with the anointed one, Jesus. You are, this is, this is currently true about your life. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So Paul lays a foundation and he launches into this encouragement. Two to ten. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose. We spoke about purpose last week. With one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unabounded joy. Verse 3, he hits some heavy stuff. But again, there's no harsh scriptures. There's no mean scriptures. There's no... Scriptures that are placed upon you by God, Holy Spirit, the writers that are meant to cause condemnation. We do that to ourselves when we've got a false view of how he sees us. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. See, see he, he says something, hey, don't do this because it's going to affect this. The writers, the Holy Spirit, the Father don't like anything that gets in the way of things that are meant to bring you life that are meant to bring you joy and, and, and growth and fulfillment and um, cause you to grow in everything that he wants you to grow in. Be, be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, because there is a false humility. It's in the Bible. I think it's in Ephesians, maybe. That's interesting. But in authentic humility, put others first, others first, and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. We'll end that there today with that Philippian scripture. Thank you. And consider the example of Jesus. Let his mindset become your motivation. Let's hit John and Matthew scriptures and then we'll do a tiny recap, talk a little bit about last week and then we'll launch into today and what we've got until Easter. Is that cool? Happy? 
Jesus. John 12, 23 to 27. This is Jesus announcing that he's, he's going to be uh, crucified. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We know the word for hate. We learned it last year, the Greek word. It means categorize, um, and we prioritize different things. So Jesus is highlighting the priority of people's lives and the correct order for, for things to really work well, that we're not exhausted and rushed and, and frantic, but there's peace that governs our heart when we do things in the right order, when we prioritize, when we categorize correctly. That's what he's saying here in this scripture. It's really powerful. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. Remember, we are servants of God, but we're also friends. So we read that scripture in the context that we're friends and know what the master's doing. So it's not a harsh scripture. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Matthew 16, we're going to close out with this. This, highlight, this explains it a little bit more layman's terms for us. Verse 24, then Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I spoke about how religion is principles without presence, that often I know for my life that this thought of have you laid down your life, every area of my life, have I laid it down for the Lord and for others? I know that I've done this, a lot of the areas, only via principle because I didn't really know. I, I knew the thoughts, I knew the stirring, I knew the encounters, I knew the stuff that was happening in me prior to encountering Jesus because we all had that happening in us. Like, is this real? Something's going on. I can't deny it. But I'm fighting my mind because of that and this and my history with church and Jesus. And there's all this stuff going on. And, and someone would have said to you in the, in the example of Jesus dying on the cross and the life and the, and the Bible and the context of the New Testament, that this is all about laying our lives down and, and swapping our life for his. But I, I went on this journey and I knew that as it went on, that a lot of it wasn't actually practicing it, applying it, but it was more via principle. And I feel like the Lord is taking us through a new season this year so that we can live a sustained period of laying our lives down for others where every single person in the church sees miracles every single day, where it just becomes normal. But I feel like the Lord's saying that, that for that to happen... We've got to readdress the actual starting point, the central point of this Christian life, which is the swapping of our life for his, so that his life can live through us. When principles turn into practice, it results in promises and presence. When truth becomes an experience and a reality, then we're set free. John 8 says that really clearly. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The context is applying truth and allowing truth to become more than a principle. It becomes a practice. And when it becomes a practice, we get transformed. Amen?
Really good. A couple of these scriptures just for just for some understanding about what Jesus is, a reminder. John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd. Come on. Wow. I'm the good shepherd. The, 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 the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. John 15, 13. There is no greater, what a statement, there is no greater love than to lay one's life, lay down one's life for friends. Sorry. There is no greater love, that that got me a little bit, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Galatians 2.20, he's redeeming this scripture. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in this flesh, in the soul. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. The next part of this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So that's the title, the explanation of love, that Jesus laid down his life and he came to be an example so that we could lay down ours and take up his and become life to others. And I want to grow in this, that it's not just a principle, an understanding, a philosophy in my head, but a practice that's an overflow of what I truly believe that I'm applying. Because love looks like something. Love looks like agape. Love's look like, love looks like Jesus. And love's, love looks like us laying down our lives, giving up our life so that we can find it. It's not about him pushing us down. It's not a, it's not a harsh scripture. It's not about you giving up everything that you want to give up in terms of you squashing, squashing you down and you've got no say, as I said, and your dreams don't matter and you don't matter and you're a worm and you must decrease and just be quiet. No, 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 no. That's a, they're all lies and that's wrong thinking. But there's something about acknowledging what he set up, acknowledging his life. And understand that scripture, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. But we've actually been created to give up our life and take on his life and have Christ and us in this incredible mystical union where we continually grow in our understanding of who he is and what he's like and to be fully known by him and to give ourselves over to him constantly and to be vulnerable and to be honest and have his voice be our filter and our decision-making be governed by his heart and his ways. And like Paul says, I want you guys to, to, to discover what pleases him. Go on a journey of what pleases him. Wow. And last week I, I shared about that God's been challenging me. Am I living for purpose or pleasure? Like, am, I, am I living for purpose or pleasure? Is my purpose pleasure. He's been really challenging me. And I feel like just as a church, a lot of stuff's just stirring and, and coming up. I just really feel it strongly, like really 
challenging things that are coming to the surface to address so that we can take another step. Because he's, he's called this church into a, uh, we're, we're a different breed, I feel. Like, I, I feel like him, he's raising a house of worship and prayer. He wants to raise a house of worship, extravagant worship and prayer. Extraordinary family and connection. And then to see miracles every single day when we live our normal life. Heaven in business. Heaven in medicine. Heaven in kindergartens. Heaven in school pickups. Heaven in doctor's waiting rooms. Heaven at the playground. Heaven at family functions. That, that we that we give our lives over to God and let his ways and his character and his nature encounter us and touch us and fill us. And we go on this journey of just giving it up where we don't make decisions unless he says yes. And again, it's not harsh. It's not weird. But we say that, we say that, that, that gets all put in this weird box of uh, he's controlling me. And it's like, no, no, no. He, he wants you to have life. He wants you to have abundance. Romans 12, 1 to 3. We'll just finish this scripture and then get into um, something that I've been thinking about for 10 years. Um, Didn't have a plan of when to speak it, but it's going to be our theme till Easter. We're going to do something as a church, which is going to be amazing. But Romans 12, purpose or pleasure? Is your life... Is your, is your current life you trying to get pleasure and avoiding pain, discomfort, or is it purpose? Or is it purpose? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that. What's the purpose? What's the point of transformation? It's so that. It's not just for transformation's sake. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can prove the will of God. Some translations say approve, but... The correct translation is to prove it. Like, we were wired, we were created, we were put on this earth in this season of time to prove that God is real. Like, your friends, your family, your work colleagues, you were actually put in that scenario to prove that God is real. He's touched your life, he's, he, he's, he, he's anointed you, He's filled you. He's for you. His presence is all over you. And it's for a purpose of seeing them encounter him, seeing the world encounter him, that you get to know him, be fully known by him, spend time with him, give up your life continually for him, and then go on a journey of proving the will of God, proving who he is everywhere you go. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10, he goes, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. He said, hey guys, 
If I don't do the works of my Father, you don't have to believe me. You can read it for yourself. John 10, 26, 27, 28. It's such a powerful scripture. And we know that words are powerful. That's not denying or devaluing words in the proclamation of the gospel. We know that's really important and necessary. I love that quote by Francis of Assisi. Um, what is it about the, the um, where, um, you know it? Yeah. You know that one by Francis of Assisi? Live your, huh? What? About living your life. Yeah, that one, Camille. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, it says, yeah, and use words if necessary. And it's like, it's something like that. Yeah, wow, we got there, didn't we? I don't even know the quote. Come on, guys. It's probably the most popular quote ever about evangelism. Yes. Preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Um, but I, I'd rather like, I, I'd, I'd rather like preach the gospel on all occasions and because it's necessary, use words. <laughs> like, we just like making weird quotes. Like, <laughs> um, but so we don't devalue words because words are like ha- Romans. Like, ha- how can they hear unless we tell them? <laughs> but I love what Jesus said. He said, hey, guys, if, if I don't do miracles, you don't have to believe me. But if I do them, then on their account, believe me. And I'm like, wow, this is something that's stirring in my heart because I know what he's called us to as a church, to live a supernatural, normal life every single day which is going to be the primary evangelistic deal of our church where we just words of knowledge are flowing every single day, everywhere we go. That we see healings every single day, that we lead people to the Lord every single day, that we impact communities every single day. And, and, and our transformation, we get to the point where we understand the purpose of it isn't for pleasure, but it's for purpose, which brings pleasure, but it's actually for proving the will of God, which brings pleasure. So if our purpose goes from pleasure to actually proving, then the presence and promises will flood our life and the exhaustion and the rushing and the franticness and the, I just don't have enough time and what, just ceases when we're on purpose. And that's what Jesus said after that statement of the kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying. He said, he goes, hey, who's going to rescue me from this hour? No, no, no. It's for this purpose. That I was born. Wow. Can we go to John 3 34? You'll have to just find it. Oh, there it is right there. There was something about the life of Jesus that modeled what we can live like. I love this scripture. So we know in John 10, Jesus is like, hey, if I don't do the miracles, if I don't do the, the works of the Father, don't believe me. Be transformed so that. Be transformed by the ruin in your mind so that. There's a purpose. And it's to prove the will of God everywhere we go. To prove that he is real. To demonstrate this kingdom that everyone really wants. But I love this scripture. Uh, John 3, 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat something. They've been walking. Remember, Jesus became the son of man. So he was hungry. He had sweat and dirt and blisters between his sandals. He got hungry. He got tired. Bible says that he was tired from the journey in some translations. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, 
eat something. Check out this line. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do know that you do not know about. Verse 33. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Hey, hey, if I don't do the miracles, you don't have to believe me. Be transformed so that we would prove the will of God. Hey, hey, my food is to do the will of the Father. The, will, the, the, the why of Jesus was the will of God. That his purpose was the proving of God's will. And I feel like God is flipping this whole Christian deal on its head and, and actually asking the question, like, have we laid down our lives and swapped our life for his so that his voice becomes our filter for everything we do? Like in the office, when all this stuff was going on this morning. <clears throat> I'm like, is his voice my filter? Is it, am I filtering my mind and the entertainment of thoughts? Am I filtering all that through my circumstances and doubts and insecurities? Or is it through his voice? Is, are my yeses and nos to people, to ministry, to church, to leaders, is it filtered by lack or is it filtered through his voice? Because if he says yes to something, then there's grace to do it. But if we only make choices based on lack and my timetable and my schedule, then we're not living by his voice and we're actually taking ownership of our life and we're in control. And it's heavy and it should be heavy. Because the contract that we signed and agreed to and thought was great via principle was you can have my life. Because I knew what I was like when I was thinking that. I needed him. I wanted him. And now we've tasted. And now we've seen. And now we've encountered what Paul said. You've experienced the Holy Spirit. You've experienced Jesus as a friend. This is who you are now. But I just want to remind you We've got to lose selfishness. We've got to prefer others. We've got to look at the life of Jesus. We want to think, live and love like Jesus so that not only miracles happen every day by every person, but we actually treat people like he did. We think about people like he did. Even if they post something weird or they say something offensive, we get to go, how do you see that person? And his voice becomes our filter and our guide. But if we don't lay our lives down and let him overtake us and live through us, then we grab the reins all the time and judge and accuse and avoid and create distance and, 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 and don't approach people. And we, we live boxed in because we're controlling our life. And Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom's upside down. For you to gain life, you've got to give it up. The whole point of marriage is husbands lay down your lives. And we're in a great process with that at the moment. We are. It's really good. Just going to chat every single night. We're going to have a date night every week. Could you pray for us? No, it's not funny. Um, it's not funny, Lee. No, no. Can you pray for us, church? Is that okay? Not now, but can you pray for us? Because, um, yeah, it's a... It's a yeah, we, we, um, we're, we're going to have a date night every single week. Yeah, if we need to pay babysitters, we'll do it. But we, 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 um, 
yeah, we want to we want to we want to grow. We like I, I want to grow. I I love what Chris Valton said. He said, "Husbands, your number one purpose is that your wife's dreams come true." That's it. And you watch what happens. You watch what happens to your life. And I want I want to be that guy. I want I want to be that guy. I want to give up my life. And I've done it via principle a lot. But I haven't done it in practice a lot. I've done it in practice in a lot of areas. But I just wonder what would happen to us if we just gave our life up. I think we'd be less exhausted. Doesn't mean we're not intentional. Rest does not mean inactivity. Rest is a posture of the heart. But I just wonder what would happen to us as a church, as a people, as a family, as, a, as your family unit, if we just said, okay, I've been trying for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. I've been trying to hold on to this, my life, <laughs> trying to make it work, trying to have done the fasting, the prayer, the courses, the conferences, the quoting, the, oh, I think I just got to give it up. <laughs> I just got to give him my life and let him rule it and reign over it. And then all the things that he put in me are going to happen. He will give me the desires of my heart because he doesn't give his love in pieces. He doesn't tease us because he's a good, kind, amazing God and there's no harsh scriptures. So when he says, give up your life, <laughs> he means it because he knows what's on the other side. But when we hold on to it, we actually lose it and we get exhausted and stressed and worried and anxious and depressed but when we swap our life and we give it up, the pressure's off. I love Amanda Cook's song. She's getting a mention today. Graham would be proud. Um, the wind is high, but the pressure's off. The wind is high, but the pressure's off. Mitch, can you jump up? Thanks, mate. I know you're not doing anything. All right, here we go. So that was, a, that was tiny bursts of recapping with new stuff in it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like just even this, even this morning when I was crying and praying and sort of continually giving my life up and giving the church to God and um, all the dreams that we have and all the stuff that's currently happening and all the stuff, it's just like, you can have it. Sometimes it's, you can have it, I'm done. <laughs> But this morning it was like, you can have it. <laughs> and, um, and I hope this feels okay. Have you given up your life? Are you living for purpose or pleasure? So I guarantee you, if you live for purpose, pleasure will come. If you live for purpose, pleasure is your inheritance. And it comes through proving the will of God. Presence and promise come when we take truth that we're just principle and an idea and a lofty thought and information in our mind and we allow it to penetrate into our heart and we apply it and we talk to our husbands about it. Can I, can I encourage you, husbands and wives and if you're not married, close friends, talk about the Lord together. Share your, what you need from each other. Pray together. Lee and I are going to go on a journey of just growing in this. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read this, Isaiah 58. Are we ready for this? 
This is where we're heading. This is what we're going to do. Isaiah 58, 1 to 12, 12 verses. Oh, it's up, it's up, it's up. You ready? Holy Spirit, yeah. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Don't get too excited. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. It's not as good as you think, hound. Um, de- <laughs> declare, that is true though, I love that. Declare to my people their rebellion. That's not what I'm hitting much, but... Anyway, and to their descendants of Jacob, their sins, I'm not hitting that. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does, as if they were a nation that does right and has not forsaken the commandments of God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager to know my ways. I'm not correlating Echo Church with Israel, okay? Just relax. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager to know my ways. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're asking God. We're fasting. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. We're getting somewhere. It's heavy now, just relax. Verse 5. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for my people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth? sackcloth and ashes. He's, he's highlighting the principle and the, 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 the principles that they did in the Old Testament, the fasting, the rituals, the routines, what they did in the Old Testament. Is this not the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it for the bowing of one's head like a reed and for the lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? And then verse 6, here it goes. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Verse 8, check this out. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, here am I. Come on. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring 
whose water never fails. Your people will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer, a repairer, a repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Come on now. Come on. What's he saying? He's saying there's an idea of what you think pleases me. They were like Judas. They wanted intimacy without covenant. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He wanted intimacy without covenant. He wanted all the bells and whistles, the miracles, the prophecy, the revival services, the worship, the podcast, the quotes, but he didn't want covenant. He wanted everything attached without covenant. I feel like the Lord is inviting us into discovering life. And from March the 1st to April 1st, we're going to do an Isaiah 58 fast. And it's not a food fast. It's not a food fast. It's a giving up our life fast. It's a laying down our life fast. It's a pursuing and prioritising His presence and encountering the goodness and the kindness of God and understanding the character and nature of our Father and fully giving our life up so that His life can be lived out through us and we find life. It's a going through the Philippians 2 verses and giving up selfishness and laying down our lives so that we're not so exhausted and so in control of every decision that we make and grabbing the steering wheel when we're freaked out and stressed and worried. But we learn to have His voice become our filter. Can we stand to our feet? So we're going to do this. We're going to go on this journey. Is, I love what He said. I love how He said it. Because in their minds, they thought they were doing the right thing. And He goes, guys, you are missing the point. You can fast all day long, but the fast that I care about is feeding the poor, is treating the the homeless, is feeding the homeless, is is, is treating the dejected and the vulnerable with my grace and mercy, is, is treating others ahead of yourselves, is looking after your family, is having revival at home where your kids are prophesying and encouraging and, and, and revival's being stirred at home and it's not just in church. He, that's what I'm interested in. He makes these statements. Like, I love sacrifice, he says, but compassion's more important. Wow. I thank you, God, there's no harsh scriptures. I thank you, God, that We've been co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with you. Romans 6. I thank you, God, that you've given us one of the final pieces to the puzzle of this culture building over the last four years. And it's the key to having sustained influence, effectiveness, and miracles every single day through our normal life. And it's to lay our lives down. I thank you, God, as we pray, church. I thank you, God, that 
Jesus, you said in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you, to love every person you come into contact with the same way that I loved you and to demonstrate my love. Wow. And I thank you, God, that you've shared this secret, it seems, to us about laying down our lives and pleasure or purpose and this Isaiah 58 fast finishing on Good Friday Eve with a worship and communion service here. Thank you that you've shared this because you know what we're going after and in your grace and your love and your kindness, you've highlighted that if we don't get this, we won't be able to live it sustainable because we can only love people according to how you love them. And if we don't give up our life and experience your love and love the challenging people like you do, give up our time, give up our busyness, give up our worry, give up, give up our calendar to you and your voice, then living a life of others that it's going to change this city will be challenging. So I thank you, God, that we're on a slow and steady journey. And this is going to be significant for us. Amen.